Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. So uh, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church. So if you, if you brought a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to continue our study in the book of Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath the seat around you. It's a black hardback Bible. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 959. That'll take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and while you're turning there, I want to share a quick story about Renaissance. Maybe some of you know this, some of you don't, but Renaissance is actually a church plant, which just means we've only been around for about eight years or so. Uh, myself, as well as some of the other leaders in the church here, we are all parts of other churches, and we felt a call to start something new for God in the city that we call Renaissance. Um, all that to say, when the church was first started, we experienced some growth. I mean, it, growth looked like this. There were 20 people last week and there were 22 people the next week. And we were real excited on 10% growth. That's huge guys, just so you know, right? And, but we we always trying to figure out a way to accommodate all of the people that were, were showing up. But the benefit to us is that we had the internet. We could go on and we could look at other churches and we could see how they manage their rapid growth. I have a, a pastor in town that I could call on and ask him, how did you manage growth when it came really fast? We had these other resources available to us. I bring that up in stark contrast to what's happening in the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I need you to hear this. The church in Corinth at this time is probably about five years old. Paul the Apostle had come through the Grecian city, planted the gospel of Jesus. People were becoming Christians, gathering together, oftentimes in secret, to worship Jesus. And in fact, the Christian faith was probably only 20 or 30 years old at this time. Many of you looking around, I can tell you've been out of high school longer than the Christian faith had been around. That's a joke. You're old is what I'm saying. You're old. Me too. I've been 30 years, guys. Come on, I'm, I'm with you. But what I'm saying is, is the Christian faith wasn't that old. So in the Christian church in Corinth, when things were causing discomfort, when things were challenging for them, there was no other churches to really lean upon. There was really no liturgy that they could look to and go, well, this is how they did it last year. or This is how they did it 10 years ago or 100 years ago. This is how that other denomination does it. It was none of that stuff. They were literally figuring out, figuring it out as they went with the help of one person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit given by Jesus to his church to empower them and equip them. And when the Holy Spirit came on the believers in Corinth, he gifted them with a lot of supernatural gifts. And the unfortunate thing, in the immaturity that was in the church in Corinth, many believers there took that, that immaturity and their spiritual gift and began to say things like this. Well, I have this gift, right? Uh, gift of prophecy. So I'm a better Christian or more spiritual person than the person over here who just has the gift of, let's say, hospitality or something. And if you have that gift, God bless you for that gift, I'm just saying. And they were beginning to draw distinction 
amongst themselves based on the gift that the Holy Spirit would give them in relation to their work in the church. The church in Corinth already has struggled with factions. If you remember even back from chapter 1, Paul is addressing them, and many of them are using arguments like this. Well, I follow Paul. And others, I follow Peter. The real spiritual ones in the room said, well, I follow Jesus. There's always one guy in every room, right? <laughs> Jesus. And then, well, Apollos, I like his preaching better. I like, and they were just divided into all of these different factions. Paul addressed that back in chapter 1. And in chapter 12, he's addressing some issues here. That they're using these gifts to say that they're better than others. Paul doesn't think that's appropriate. Paul thinks, and I would agree, that the church should be very diverse and yet unified in its purpose and plan for the world. And they were not using that diversity towards one unity, which is in Christ. They were using it to cause divisions and factions. And it was causing a big problem in the church. Paul hears of this and he writes this letter to the church in Corinth to correct them, to rebuke them in some ways. So I want to read this passage for us, and I want us to keep in mind that, that we too, much like the church in Corinth, have at times, won't point out anyone here, right, or anyone, anyone's denomination or anything like that, but we have at times broken ourselves off into different schisms or factions, somehow losing the reality that the reason the church exists is for Christ alone. Anyways, yes? We start there. We're a, in a college town, Millican University is here, and we get a lot of Millican students that come in the evenings. We have a 6 p.m. service. Um, it's filled with young people. So if you would love to come to that service, we'd love to have you. I could use a lot of help. I'm just telling you. <laughs> 20-year-olds. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but many of them will come to Renaissance while they're here at university, and then they'll move on. And it, inevitably, I get an email from them. Hey, Jeff, I've landed in Indy, or I'm down in Louisiana, somewhere on this now. Um, I, I can't find a church. Can you help me with this? I loved Renaissance so much. My faith grew so much when I was in Decatur, going to school there and visiting Renaissance. But I need another church. And my response to them is like, I don't know anybody anywhere. I can't help you find a church. I don't, I don't know what to say to you except for this. Try a church, go to that church, listen to them preach. If they put a lot of um, stock into the scriptures, or if they're a Bible preaching church, that's a good thing. And then and most importantly, are, are they preaching Jesus every week? See, if they're preaching Jesus, I'm gonna suggest you're probably in a good church. I could be wrong. I mean, give it a couple weeks, who knows? Maybe that was the guest speaker that week, I have no idea. But if they're not preaching Jesus, more, more importantly, if they're preaching more about you and how to make yourself better, then, then run out. I, mean, I say that lovingly, but I mean, don't stay there because what, what's important is that Jesus be the main thing in the church. Would you agree with that? So what I want to do here is I want to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and we're going to hear Paul speak to the church in Corinth. And I think if we allow, God will speak to us too. Would you agree? So let's, let's read this together. Starting here in verse 11, we'll put words on the screen. And you can follow there. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's changing the topic of his letter. He's talking about something else here. So concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, you know that when you were pagans, that you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I, Paul, want you to understand that no one speak, speaking in the Spirit of God would ever say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 4, there are a varieties, or there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. And to each is given, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you underline anything in your Bible, that's the part I'm underlining. What does God want for our common good? I would underline that. He's speaking about us here. Next verse, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another person gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, Yes, that's what it says, various kinds of tongues. And another, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, right here he says, closing here, he says, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I always pause here after reading the, the passage and ask God to help us. I, I, I know intimately how bankrupt my words alone are to help anyone in this place. I know I have no ability in and of myself to persuade, convince, teach, or inform you about anything spiritual. It has to come through the work of God in his Holy Spirit. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to invite him to come and be a part of this today. If you nod, I'll move on. We're in agreement. Can I get a quorum on this? All right, we're moving forward. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for everything that you do. We know we don't come to you based on our own merits or works as we've already sang and worshiped. We come to you through Jesus Christ, your son. Jesus, absorbing penalties for sin, absorbing death upon his own body on a cross, um, took that separation component away from us and you. And in his resurrection, God, through our faith, we believe in Jesus. Now we see you and you see us together again. We can have relationship with you. You no longer see us as sinful and rebellious people. You see us righteous because of your son, Jesus. And so, God, we stop and thank you for that. We come in his name asking that the Holy Spirit would come and be a part of today. That the Spirit of God who's available to us, available to us individually and to us corporately, would just visit and we would know that he was here, that we would have understanding of this passage, that Paul's words would speak to us in our modern day. God, we thank you for everything that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I mentioned in verse 1 when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, he's, he's changing the topic. Last week he was kind of talking about something else. Now he's going into... Uh, a kind of a response to some questions that they had in regards to some of these spiritual gifts. And he, he responds to them because he does not want them to be uninformed. And that's a crucial thing, I think, for us to understand. There are many things that we might not understand of the Christian faith, and it is God's desire that we would understand them. 
And we can be at all levels of maturity and understanding in these things. But know this, the heart of God is first that we not be uninformed about some things. And so he says, I'm talking to you about these things that you would not be uninformed. He goes, I know your past. See, know this, none of us are born Christian. Do you agree with me on that? I don't care what family you come from. You're not a Christian. You're a, um, a sinful person. It's hard to say when you look at those cute little babies and they smell so nice, but inside of them are these little bitty dark hearts that desire evil. You disagree? <laughs> Let them grow up to be two or three years old sometime. And if you don't educate them and train them and help them along, leave them to their own devices anyways. <laughs> But no one is a Christian by birth. They become a Christian by faith. And he says, I know your past. You used to worship pagan idols. You were led astray to these mute idols, these idols fashioned by hands, which it sounds so bizarre that they would actually devote themselves to a, a thing that they used to set on their mantle or put in some prominent place in their house that they would actually devote their time and their money. They would go to these temples and worship that thing. It's not even a real thing. Paul uses the language, it's mute. It can't even speak to you. And I look in their culture, I'm like, that is so strange. And yet, if we're, if we're real honest, I see some of that in our culture today too. So many of us, and maybe our neighbors and friends, family, I don't know, they, we see them devote so much of their time, their energy, and their money towards things that are made by their own hands. I've seen this with business owners. I've seen this with boat owners, right? You know, a guy who owns a boat, he won't shut up about his boat, I'm telling you, right? Maybe it's motorcycles. Maybe it's something else. I don't know, but there are things on this earth that, that drive people to devote themselves to. And Paul says that used to be you. You guys used to do that, used to run that way, but God has saved you and pulled you into something else. He says, therefore, verse three, I want you to understand this that no one speaking in the spirit of God, right? By the, the spirit of God's utterance can say Jesus is a curse. He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. The implication is this, and this is where we have to look at the, the context of what's happening in Corinth. I mentioned earlier that many of these people gifted by the spirit of God were using some of their gifts to say that they're better than someone else. And most of the people we've learned in Corinth were using the ecstatic gifts, the gifts of speaking in tongues and maybe working of miracles to say that they're more spiritual than everyone else. And they sort of stratified themselves or, or, or separated themselves above others. And Paul's saying that's, that's not even what the, the argument should be is this. He says, nobody who has the spirit of God would say Jesus is Lord. So if you're saying Jesus is Lord, then you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on the gift. You're focused on this other stuff and you're missing it altogether completely. Jesus is the main thing. It's so Christocentric. He starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. Who, guess who we worship in heaven? Jesus. Guess who makes the light shine in heaven? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And yet the church in Corinth is arguing about all their gifts, their abilities, their talents. It's not the point. I strongly desire a church that would be diverse, much like the church in Corinth. It'd be diverse along socioeconomic lines, rich and poor. I think we have that going for us here. Raise your hand if you're rich. <laughs> Got an elevator to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my the only hand up? I don't understand that. I'm the opposite of rich, I'm just saying. So I think we have some of that here. I, 
I think we could be more diverse, if I could be very honest, um, ethnically. I'd love to see more people of um, brown skin color. My wife says I'm not allowed to say that, but I believe that. I want that. I want more people here who use English or speak English as their second language. And I think there's, there's room for those people here. In fact, I think for us to be more a mirror or a picture of what heaven's going to look like, we, we have to ask for those things here. We have to seek the Lord, say, God, make us more diverse, make us different. But the problem with that is that oftentimes we can see the differences in each other and somehow use that as justification for oppression and abuse. And push those people aside. We see this happen oftentimes with the maturity of Christians. I've been a Christian 23 years, we say. You're just new. You'll figure it out. Oh, you, you're, here's my favorite. You're just young and have a lot of zeal. You'll tire soon. Are you kidding me? We are united in Christ. And Paul says all of the issues, socioeconomic, your devotion, whether you follow Paul or Peter or Jesus or Apollos or denominational, all those things don't matter. Your gift set that God has given you doesn't matter if you cannot say Jesus is master. That's the word Lord. That's the Greek word that Paul uses. No one can say by the spirit of God that Jesus is master. Think about that. You can't say those things without God's spirit inside of you. And if his spirit is inside of you, then we have to wrestle through that. Are there areas of our lives where Jesus is not the master of? Don't nod. The answer is probably yes. My life too. I submit my marriage to Jesus. I submit my, my dad skills to Jesus. And I'm on a struggle bus some days. I submit my pastoring of a church to Jesus. I submit my, my free time to Jesus. I submit all this stuff to Jesus. And that's the stuff that matters. Everything else is secondary. This issue of diversity in the church is needed, but we must be unified in our desire to worship and serve Jesus. That's Paul's main thrust. In verse 4, and he says this, that there are varieties of gifts. Verse 5, there are varieties of service. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities. All of these things are varied by design. I don't think this is Paul's main thrust here, but he's given us some Trinitarian language in those three verses. He says, verse four, that, that it is the Spirit who does this one thing. And in verse five, he said, it is the Lord Jesus doing something. Verse six, it is God the Father doing something. He's, he doesn't use Trinitarian language, but he's given us a picture of who God is. In fact, the early church fathers used those words of Paul to put together for us the idea that God is a Trinity, three, person act, three persons acting as one God. The point in this, in God's unity amongst himself, amongst himself. He is diverse in how he operates in the church. And we should expect diversity in the church. We should desire diversity in the church. And Paul also wants his people to know here that all of the gifts that the, the church is using to exalt themselves over others are given by the Holy Spirit in the first place. Look here in verse 7. He says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We'll come back to that. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit. These manifestations, these gifts are given to us by God. Paul would almost say this to them. 
my paraphrase might come across harsh. He's like, stop making much about yourself because you didn't earn this gift anyways. And to be very honest with you, you don't deserve this gift is what Paul might say. He likens it almost to salvation in Ephesians chapter two. He speaks to that church and says, listen, salvation is not even of our own merit or our own works, but it is a gift of God given to us lest anyone boast about it. They're boasting in their gifts. And he's like, you don't, this is a gift to you. People come to my house and like, um, I have a lot of nice tools. I don't use them much anymore because I'm, but anyways, so I have a lot of really nice tools. And I always, I always say this, if they see my like 12 inch compound miter saw with an arm on it, I mean, it's real expensive, right? You're welcome. Anyways, so I just, if people see that, I'm like, I didn't buy this, this was a gift. And they see my nice thing over here. I didn't buy that either, that was a gift. And, and I say that because my parents bought it for me when I was doing work at their house. And I would say things like this, well, I would put your cabinets in, but I need a new 12 inch compound miter saw with a, <laughs> it'd make my job a whole lot easier, dad. But I'm just saying that these things are gifts. I didn't earn it. They didn't earn their gifts. They didn't deserve their gifts. Paul elsewhere says, if there's something we deserve, it's the opposite of how gracious God has been to us. So why on earth would you stand in a position of exaltation, looking down your nose at someone else because they don't have the same gift that you had? because their gift isn't quite as ecstatic or miraculous. Again, I mentioned hospitality or administration. People who have those gifts are needed in the church. My wife has the gift of administration. You should thank her immensely. She, she helps so much. My gift is limited to teaching a little bit. I, I like to encourage along the way, but I can only do what I can do. My gift is not better than anyone else's. Paul rebukes them for that. If we're going to find unity in the church, it is going to come from the understanding that we are all equal in his eyes. He saves each one of us from a deplorable state. Every one of us were sinners against God. Every one of us were, were common in that area, and God rescued us. So why would we want to think we're better than someone else because of the gift? In verse 4, Paul says, that the, the variety of gifts, that actual word, the Greek word is, is charisma or charisma, charismata. It's one of those Greek compounds in there. And, and it comes from another, another word, charis, which just means grace. It's freely given to you. It's not deserved or earned. So the gifts are from the Holy Spirit. They are incredibly varied, as we shall now read verses 8 9 and 10. And this is all happening in the church in Corinth. So let's, let's look through a couple of these here, starting in verse 8. He says, to one person is given the, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. The utterance of wisdom. Now, know this. This is a manifestation of the Spirit. It just means this. This person doesn't own this gift. They don't possess this gift fully and always. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit comes into the room, if you will, or comes into the situation, and through His divine presence, He gives someone an utterance of knowledge, gives them an, an utterance of wisdom, or I think that's how both of those are, are listed here in verse 8. For one is given through the Spirit utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. You have to picture this you would be involved in a situation, I don't know what it is, okay? 
and God through his Holy Spirit would explain something to you in a way that you could never possibly have known it. Now, I have experienced this in my own life. Not that I had the, the utterance of knowledge, but I was actually with someone who had it for me once. Long story short, I was praying to God about something. And my question to him on repeat for the past many months was, Lord, do you want me to do this? Yes or no? Has anybody ever prayed that to God? Right? You're probably praying that right now. Should I leave right now? Yes or no? <laughs> Show me a sign. Right? But I remember praying to God, like earnestly, God, what do you want me to do? And I run into this guy. And I mean, literally, I've, I don't know him for nothing. And he walks up and he's like, can I pray for you? I'm like, sure. The answer to your question is yes, he says. And I went, huh? And then he went, went to actually give more details about the specific question I was asking about. It's as if old dude snuck into my mailbox, read my mail, and put, put it back and knew stuff about me that I, I've, I promise you, I've never met this man in my life. Now, immediately I begin to sense the overwhelming love and care from God the Father that he would care enough to not only answer my question, but to, to use another person to do it in, in miraculous fashion that I couldn't mistake it for anything else. It wasn't just my idea. I'm just overthinking it. I'm just, I want it so bad, I'm gonna say yes. You know what I mean? It wasn't that. I literally said, Lord, you tell me yes or no. And he did. And it's so helpful for the church if we have people that operate in that gift in the church. Would you agree? All of you that raised your hands, if you're, if you're asking God a question, yes or no, wouldn't you want someone to come to you through the Spirit of God and tell you this is the answer? Of course, yes, we want these things. He said to someone else, um, next verse here says, to one is given through the Spirit, utterance, wisdom, knowledge, according to the same Spirit, verse 9, to another person, faith he gives. This is not faith unto salvation. This is another faith. This is that faith that Jesus talks about when he says, if, if you have faith uh, the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You guys know that verse? This is a supernatural faith. This is a faith that's so strong inside of you that it can't be shaken by extraneous circumstances. I think I have this gift of faith oftentimes. And I say that because my wife thinks I'm crazy. Because she says this all the time, Jeff, you live in fantasy land. Because I'm always saying it's going to work out. It will be fine. The wheels can be coming off the bus as we're driving down the road. And, and I would say, it's such a great opportunity to get new wheels on the bus. <laughs> How great is this that this is happening? How wonderful that we can start over or we can change plans. And she goes, Jeff, you live in the clouds somewhere. I don't. I don't. I have faith. I didn't know that's what this was, but a friend of mine recently said, Jeff, you're a man of faith. And I said, I am. Now this is, I don't deserve this, I don't earn this, but God shows this to me. To be honest with you, I wouldn't, would never have embarked upon this journey to remodel 10,000 square feet upstairs at the price tag of one point something million dollars to make room for 500 people if I didn't believe God was going to do something miraculous in I would never have done that. I'm a man of faith. And it comes from the Spirit. I think many of you are like that. You just thought you were weird. You're not. You're not. You're, you're filled with God's Spirit. He's telling you it's going to be fine. It will be fine. Have faith to believe. 
This comes from the same spirit. To another person, he says, I give the gift of healing by one spirit. Gifts of healing. I mean, I, we, we don't need to go through the room to determine that, that we all know people and might be people who need healing on any given day. We need that at times. And, and oftentimes the Lord in, in our midst will show up in such a way that God can use someone to pray for someone else and they can receive healing. I have experienced this myself. I've had someone pray for me once and my back was healed. I'm not overselling that. I don't need to. I just know what happened. And secondarily, I have prayed for others and watched God heal them. And I don't say that to, to boast. I, it doesn't, trust me, I had nothing to do with it. I promise you. I just have the faith to believe that God could do that. And I think the church needs people in it that operate like I do. So when some situation is going on, we can come together and believe, at least say the crazy prayers out loud that God would move and heal. I think that's okay to, to believe that God can do that. Some people have gifts of healing. Verse 10, to another person, he says, the working of miracles. I think this is like the junk drawer of everything else. <laughs> Miraculous. Just miracles. Whatever that looks like. It is because of God's manifestation through his spirit that miracles take place. To another person, he'll give the gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? I want you to understand this. Um, Paul would have come from a Jewish understanding here. And in the Old Testament, the prophets were basically men or women who spoke on God's behalf to God's people. And they typically spoke one of two things. They, they would speak of impending judgment if they don't change their ways, right? This is the story of Jonah when he's going to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent and Jonah says, I don't want to because I know they will and you'll forgive them, <laughs> right? And I don't like those people. So, he doesn't want so prophets would typically come and speak judgment or they would preach salvation. And oftentimes when people have the, the gift of prophecy, they can see, it's not always future telling, but they can definitely see and have the ability to discern quickly what's right and what's wrong. What will lead to righteousness and right living and what won't. What, and, and these people kind of get on your nerves sometimes because they, they're not very gray in the middle. They're black or white. You know people like this? Maybe you're married to someone like this. Don't do this to them, but that's, that's right. And it's challenging. That's just how God's gifted them to see things. I need people like that on my staff. When I'm making decisions, I need to know where's, where are we going? This way or that way? This way or that way? I don't want to labor over it. I'll spend a month thinking about it. They come to you and say, this is what we're doing. Does that make sense? And so some people have that gift, again, appointed to them through the work of the Holy Spirit. Another gift is the, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is a hotly contested passage. This line in particular has been written about by commentator after commentator after commentator. You can read them all. I tried as best I could. Hear me, none of them agree on what's happening here. <laughs> What does this mean? You can test spirits in the room. You can test this and that. Maybe it's possible that what Paul is saying is if someone stands up and gives a prophetic utterance, hey, this is what God says his people should do, that conversely, there would be someone in the same room who would say, hey, I can test the spirits or I can discern the spirits and I can tell you if that message is from God or not. Now, how many think that would be helpful? 
Yes. So when the guy gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, you need someone in the room that goes, I agree with that. If someone came to you and says, hey, this is what the Lord told me about your life, you better test it. <laughs> you better check it with yourself. And so some people have been given the ability to discern whether that's from God or not. I tend to think that's what's happening here. They have the ability to de determine whether words of prophecy are right or not. I'll move through these last ones real quick because I don't want to bore you. He says, to another person, you get various kinds of tongues. Oh, out of time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, we'll have to do that next week. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, what is this? What, what is various kinds of tongues? I'll, I'll just, I wrote down a few things. Let me just share these with you. It is a controversial gift. It was controversial then. It's controversial even now. And uh, the Corinthians had this for whatever reason, they put a singular preference on that gift over all the other gifts, which we've already talked about. I won't belabor that anymore. But know this, the tongues issue is at least this. It is a spirit-inspired utterance. The person speaking it is not in ecstasy or out of control. And we know that because in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul talks to people speaking in tongues, he says, listen, if there's no one there to interpret what you're about to do, don't do it. So they're not taken over by the Spirit. I know oftentimes in charismatic circles, that was sometimes taught. It's not true. If a person is speaking in tongues, they have control over themselves. They cannot do it if they don't want to. And that's what Paul would say. So we know that it is a, a Spirit-given utterance. They're not out of control. The speech is unintelligible to the speaker or the hearer. If you've ever heard someone speak in tongues, I agree it's unintelligible, Right? And know this, that it is speech directed to God. It's, it's directed to God. It's them speaking to God. Paul makes mention of this in chapter 14 as well. Now, following on the heels of that gift, then the, love, the loving God would come to us and then give us an interpreter. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the, for the tongues. Because it doesn't matter to us if someone's speaking unintelligibly. We can't understand what they're saying. So then God would give, through his spirit, someone who can interpret that gift. And so if someone was to speak in tongues, then there should be an interpreter to help us understand. Know this, it's not a translator. Because that's been a, a, a difficult thing. People would see someone speak in tongues and they'd maybe talk a few syllables or whatever. And then the interpreter would go on for 11 minutes. <laughs> They're not translating what was spoken. They're putting to words what that person was saying so that God would help us understand it. That's all that's happening. Now, of, of this list of gifts, I want you to make note... I want you to notice this. The gifts of tongues and interpretation in tongues is listed last. Is that significant? Maybe. Maybe. A lot of people want to think it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I know this. The Corinthian church put much emphasis on the gift. So it's possible Paul is listing it last to put less emphasis on it. Much like the list of disciples of Jesus. If you ever look through the New Testament and see all of the disciples listed, the person always listed last is Judas. You know why, right? Uh-huh. Maybe I should start there. Judas betrayed Jesus. And so whenever they list out all the disciples, he's always listed last. I think Paul is intentionally putting this last, but not because it's a lesser gift. He's doing it because the Corinthians are making too much of the gift. I think we should want all the gifts to operate. So, I'll stop there with this one closing remark. All of the gifts 
If we go back to verse 7, okay, we look at verse 7 here. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. May I remind you, this is the Spirit of God himself operating. Now, oftentimes there can be immaturity and people can be immature in their gifts. I get that. But it's the Spirit of God and it's all done for the common good of the church. Know this, it is not about you. Like if it's your gift, the gift isn't for you and about you. It is for everyone else. Now, I have to say this. For the past many, many months, I have been praying that God would show up in some fashion that is, let me say this the right way. I have been praying and asking God to make his presence known to us in our church services for many, many months now. Okay? And then my prayer right after that is always this. And God, please don't let it be weird. <laughs> I don't want crazy in here. I don't want any part of crazy in here. And I mean that sincerely. If I get to pick, it's orderly. If I get to pick, it's it's right, it's timed right, it's, per, it's everything. The body's built up and encouraged, people are helped and this and that. It's not just ecstasy for ecstasy's sake. It's not just crazy. But at the end of the day, I also know that it's not my decision either. It's not my decision. God, come in great power with your spirit, but don't be, don't be crazy, don't be weird. Like, what are you asking for then? I just wanna know that God's here, it's all I ask. So I want you to picture this, Israel in Egypt, in captivity under that wicked king Pharaoh, God sends a deliverer, Moses, to rescue them out. And he's taken them out of Egypt into the promised land. They find themselves being followed by the Egyptian army and a Red Sea standing before them and the promises of God. Moses, in this miraculous way, supernatural way, takes his staff and does something. The waters part. Here's what I believe. If God shows up and does something here, there will be no question as to whether or not it was God or not. There'll be no question. I don't think there's a person standing in the Egyptian desert wondering if this was Moses doing this. Dang, Moses is pretty all right with that stick and stuff. <laughs> I had no idea he could do the magics and stuff. That wasn't it. He did the thing. God opened them. And listen, once they knew it was God, once they knew, the Bible says they all walked across on dry ground. He'll show us in a way, and we'll know it's him. And then I, as your pastor, I would say, let's go through. If it's just this, uh-uh, uh-uh, not for me. But we want God to show up, would you agree? God, yes, we do, yes, we do. More than we possibly even know that we and, and when he comes, I think we'll know. So let's pray together and we'll get out of here and eat lunch. <laughs> God, thank you for everything that you do for us. Again, first and foremost, your son Jesus is our hero. He's more than our hero. He's our savior. Without him, we are sunk. We would be trying to do this thing on our own and we desperately cannot do that. God, we have done the hamster wheel of trying harder and failing and trying harder and failing. And through your son, Jesus, we have been saved or liberated from that endless cycle. 
We've been saved into eternal life with you, into a full relationship with you, into the fullness of life that Jesus offers us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have come to be a part of our worship today, that you would spend time with us. It is your desire to testify to the truth that is Jesus. In fact, that's what Jesus says. He says, to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven, he says, it is good that I go away, that I would send to you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict or convince the world of its sin. And he would testify to the truth that is Jesus. God, we are sinful people. We need a savior. Jesus, your son is that savior. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, thank you for making that um, visible to us. And now, Holy Spirit, we pray during these next few moments that you would come and be with us and that you would speak to each person in a way that they would understand. Their hearts would, would hear your words, that there would be comfort given where comfort has been lost for so long. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, capital C, Comforter. So I pray in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit would come and bring comfort to those who need comforted. Know that all healing comes through the power of the Spirit. I pray for healings even now. God, we don't even need to do any special prayer. We just pray healing in Jesus' name. I thank you for that. And lastly, God, I just pray that as we go back into a time of worship, as the band returns, that we would declare the, the good things of our lives even in the midst of difficulties and troubles and turmoils, that there's still goodness found in you. And we would at least hang on to that and testify to that. You are our great deliverer. You are the one who leads us in even our most difficult seasons. God, we thank you for that. God, would you be with us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus, and we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.